you need a little extra motivation this morning, that was it, 30 minutes there for the rest of our lives. I'll be about 30 minutes, so it's uh, my way of saying this is important. No, uh, actually, uh, probably some of you recognized him, that was uh, Tim Tebow, uh, 2007 BCS Championship Game, National Collegiate Game, uh, that was the halftime speech. 30 minutes for the rest of our lives was the phrase he said over and over again. They actually went out, they were playing Ohio State, went out in the second half, Ohio State didn't score, they were leading at halftime, they won 41-14. And the idea with 30 minutes, give me your best guys for the rest of your lives. And you see with that kind of speech, you see why they won. So uh, that's, uh, that's who that is. Let me introduce myself, I'm Jeff Bennett. Privileged to be the lead pastor here at Harbor and to all of you here this morning. Just a warm welcome to you. Hope I can shake your hand at the door afterwards. And then to our online community, welcome to you as well. And so glad you're with us this morning, either live or at a later time. And hopefully you'll connect with us during the week uh, as well. I always say during this time that it's a privilege for me to be the pastor here at Harbor. And I really do feel that way. And over this last week, I have especially felt that. Last Sunday, our Vision Sunday, and the dunk tank, and the food, and all of that afterwards, and then our business meeting on Wednesday night, and then this week, or tonight, guess who's coming to dinner? So, so many good things happening here. My heart is full. Let me just share one thing from our business meeting on Wednesday that I know everyone would want to hear, and just an indication of God's work in our lives over the last fiscal year. So our fiscal year ended June 30th, so it goes from July 1st to June 30th. Uh, our giving for that fiscal year, remember, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of two lockdowns, our giving for the last fiscal year was $81,000 ahead of budget. And so we just pause and we say, God, thank you. And I wanted to say thank you to each of you for your faithful giving in that regard. That's allowed us to pay down some debt and allowed us to wisely advance ministry. And some of the things you see happening now or this year is because of that generosity. So back to Tim Tebow. The reason I chose the clip was he has something in common with the book we are studying, First Peter. And what Tebow is doing in that clip is trying to motivate his team for a second half, right? Guys, give me your best 30 minutes for the rest of your lives. In some ways, Peter, as he writes the book of 1 Peter, is trying to do the same thing. Now, his readers aren't going out to play a football game, but they're in the midst of suffering. They've been mocked and ridiculed. They're being ostracized. They're regarded as strange and weird by the people that they are encountering them because of their faith in Christ. And so Peter writes this letter to give them hope and to give them encouragement in the midst of all that they are going through. And maybe this morning for you, you're here, and to use the sports analogy, the halftime analogy, you're in a halftime moment. Maybe it's this week or this month or this year, but you're, you've come out of something and you're going into something. You're sort of at this middle moment, and for whatever reason, you need extra motivation, extra encouragement, maybe extra comfort this morning. Well, Peter is writing exactly for you. 
Maybe you know someone else who's going through something and it's not so much your moment, but it's someone else's moment and you're looking for something to say to them as they're entering into this season of transition. Maybe coming out of a hard time, maybe going into a hard time. And then I think for all of us, if you tried to live for Christ this week, if you just said, let me just live for Jesus and live out my faith, we know that progressively gets harder. Maybe not day by day, but certainly we know over years, over decades, we feel the sense of, as Peter reminded his readers, of being strange and weird and not quite fitting in society. And maybe this morning, just as you think about living out your faith, Peter's words of motivation and encouragement is exactly what you need to hear. And where Peter is speaking to his audience of his day is where he starts with is he's telling them who they are. Here is your identity. And this then, if you know who you are, it influences how you live. And so last week, we looked at one word where Peter says you're exiles. It's the, it's the word like you're a resident, you live there, but you're an alien. You're strange and you're weird because of what you believe about God and the exclusivity of Jesus and your customs and your moral behavior. Peter's reminding his audience that they're aliens. You're not home just yet. Now, as you thought about that this week, maybe you came, you know, if you were thinking about this this week and you come home and you flop down on a chair and you've tried to live for Christ and you just realize that you feel a little bit out of place, you feel ostracized, you feel like you don't fit, maybe you got mocked or ridiculed and you sit down in your chair and you're like, ah, oh, just the emotional weight of that. And then you imagine Peter coming along saying to you, well, yes, you're an alien. You're feeling exactly how you should feel. You're an alien. You're an exile. You don't fit. You're strange and you're weird. And you're like, yeah, thanks, Peter. That's nice. I know that already. I'm feeling that. So again, it's totally true who we are. We're exiles. We're aliens. We're not home. But there in some ways is not a lot of comfort in that idea. And so now Peter comes with something else that he designs, a second word that is designed to give comfort, to give hope, to give encouragement, to give motivation. And just like, and here's where the clip has some similarities, just like in the clip where Tim Tebow is motivating, how is he motivating? He's saying, he, what he's trying to do in his motivational speech there is put their behavior in the next 30 minutes in the context of time. He's saying 30 minutes for the rest of your lives. He's trying to broaden their perspective. He's trying to give them motivation and focus based on not just what will come in the next 30 minutes, but the rest of their lives. Now, what we see Tebow doing there is looking to the future. What Peter does, in the words we're going to look at, he does the same thing. He's putting the moment they're going through in the context of time, but Peter doesn't, in what we're going to look at, go to the future. He goes to the past. And he's saying, here, I've got something to tell you from the past that will give you, that is who you are, and when you understand it, it will motivate you greatly. And here, we know this, right? If you're in the midst of a struggle, midst of a trial, midst of a difficult time, what do we do? We focus on the immediate. We focus on the now, in this moment, and we sort of forget everything else. And so Peter's saying, in order to motivate you, I want you to step back, and I'm going to show how this moment fits into the context of, of time, of eternity, and that will bring you the kind of encouragement and help you need. 
So we're in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Same verse we were in there last week. We're going to do one more today. But here's the interesting thing. Peter starts, Peter starts where we would never start today. We would say, Peter, do not start there. Avoid this topic. It is unhelpful. Do not go there. But Peter jumps right in. He's jumping right in to speak to his readers. In fact, as I talked about last week, this is still like the, the two line in the email. You know, he's saying, from Peter to you. And right in the two line, he's giving them their identity. So I sure hope you have your Bibles. If you could open them up or turn them on. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Revelation's all the way in the back, and you just come forward a little bit, and you'll find 1 Peter. Here's what he says in the two line, what we covered last week. You'll see it on the screens. Here's what Peter writes. To God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, last week, we talked about that word exiles. It's the word resident aliens. You don't fit for various reasons. But now there's a second word. It's the second word, Peter says, to God's elect. And that's the word we focus on today. To God's chosen ones. To God's elect. Now, we know something about this word. In fact, tomorrow we will go to uh, the polls and we will elect a member of parliament. We will choose on a ballot who we want to elect. They will compile all of those, and based on the member of parliament, there will be a prime minister tomorrow night who is elected and who is chosen by the people. This is the same word that Peter is using there. Here's what it means. God chooses whom he will save. Now, his choice is not based on anything that we have done, our goodness, or our merit. It's just based on God's sovereign pleasure, his good will. And this is fascinating, isn't it? Peter leads with this idea, right? Here he comes, first line. Who am I writing to? I'm writing to the elect. And we would say, Peter, just hide that. Put that in the appendix. Avoid that. Don't talk about it. You're going to discourage people. You're going to confuse people. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. I want to encourage this group of people. And in order to encourage and motivate them, I have to give them great theology, there's no comfort in just cliches. I have to give them great truth, great doctrine, and that's where Peter is coming. And if we miss this idea, if we miss it, we miss just such a powerful encouragement, such a powerful uh, motivation and comfort for us. It's interesting, just so, you know, it's not like... Um, Nine months ago or a year ago, I sort of decided on this Sunday, let's, uh, let's teach on this topic. About nine months ago or so, I was reading through First Peter, and what I so appreciated was I sort of felt like Peter was a little bit like Tim Tebow, just coming alongside and motivating the people. You know, they're going through a hard time, and he's saying, be hopeful. Put your, you know, trust and hope in Christ. And I so appreciated that. As I read that, I thought, oh, that will be wonderful for us to study as a church in the fall. But then as you dive into it and really begin to see the way Peter lays out his argument, you realize that in this two-line, Peter is setting his thesis statement for the entire book. He's saying two things. You're elect and your exiles, and he's going to develop those ideas all the way through. And so as you read through 1 Peter, you can't avoid this topic. It is just central and core to Peter's thinking and what he wants us to tell us. Now, what's interesting here is that Peter just assumes this is true. 
He just assumes, hey, to God's elect, and now he's going to go on and tell us the implications. We're like, Peter, just slow down a little bit. We, we're, we're, we're not there yet. And so, but Peter assumes it. He doesn't teach it. And actually, this is what we see most often in Scripture, that the doctrine is just taught. It's just assumed, and then the implications are given. For those of you that are interested, let me just quote a couple of other verses where we learn this doctrine of God's election or God's choosing. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, here's how Paul wrote it. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And then Ephesians 1.3, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. When Luke writes in Acts 13, he says it this way. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. All were who appointed, all were who ordained, all were who chosen, who they then believed. And then Jesus himself, and there's many examples from Jesus. But in John 6, he says, all the Father gives me will come to me. So all the Father has chosen, all the Father has ordained, who, what will happen to them? They then will all believe all come to Jesus. And so the truth that Peter starts with, we are God's elect. God chose some, he will save. Not based on our faith or based on our goodness, just based on his sovereign will, his good pleasure. Now Peter is giving this truth so it will be a comfort, a comfort to them in their struggle. And then that's where he goes in verse 2. He then begins to explain the implications of what he has just said. So he just lays it out there. You're God's elect. Okay, let me tell you who you are and what that means. Look down to the next verse, beginning of verse 2. You'll see it on the side screens. He says this, Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So he says, here's your God's elect. How did that happen? You were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That word foreknowledge doesn't mean just knowledge of future events. It doesn't mean that God saw what, was, what I was going to do. What it means is that he foreplanned something in the past. Something was foreplanned. If you look down to verse 20, if you've got your Bibles open, just scan down to verse 20. And the same word is used there again where it's talking about Jesus, and it says Jesus was chosen before creation. It's not saying there that they, God knew that Jesus was going to do. It's saying, no, before the creation of the world, God made a plan. He foreknew that Jesus, that Jesus would come and be crucified. So it's not just prior information. It is a plan. It is foreknowledge. It is God predetermining to have relationship with some. Now you might say, well, why? Why would God do that for me or for you? And here's what we know. It's only done by the grace of God. Nothing we have done, not our faith. We have no goodness to bring. It's only God's sovereign choice. And here's where we begin to move to the comfort part. You see, before the creation of the world, this is not God being passive. This is God having regard for you. This is God centering his attention on you way back before the foundation of the world and him saying, Jesus is going to come and die for you. This is my plan. From eternity past, I have set my love on you. And so Peter looks in on suffering people and he says, who are you? You are the elect. Why me? We don't know. 
But he says, but it is because God loves you. It's because God loves you. And so think of the clip. Tebow is looking forward and saying, 30 minutes for the rest of your lives. Now Peter is looking back to eternity past, and he's saying, look as far back as you can, and in the middle of that, here's what we know. God was thinking of you. He cares for you. He chose you. And here's the thing we think in the midst of the moment, in the midst of a trial. Here's the two things that go through our mind. God, you have no plan. God, you got a good plan for everybody else, but somehow I got left out of the planning department, and God, you've lost control of the plan for my life. And then we go to the next spot where we say, God, you have no plan, and you don't care for me. God, you don't care. You've got no plan. And that's where we go in the moment. And that's where Peter is trying to turn people's eyes and hearts to the past. Here's what Peter's arguing. God always has acted for your good. If you are in Christ, God has acted for your good from eternity past and in the future, that comes, he is going to be acting for your good. So today, in the midst of what you're going through, be comforted, he will also do exactly the same for you. He will act for your good. I have loved you from before time ever began. I care for you. I am committed to you. And what Peter is asking his readers to do is to remember that, to know that, and to let that truth transform their lives as they're living through these hard days to say, this is who I am, and I walk through this knowing that. Let me give the summary statement that is designed to bring comfort in the midst of our trials. You'll see it on the side screens. The elect exiles are eternally loved by God the Father. The elect exiles are eternally loved by God the Father. That's what Peter, he's saying, go all the way back, go all the way future. I have eternally loved you. So whatever you're going through in the moment, don't doubt that for one moment. I... Uh, since we're on the sports theme this morning, I created a, another slide here that highlights some top quality sports teams. We'll put up, the, put up the slide there. There they are. If you're wondering if there's some subliminal messaging in this slide, yes, there is. Just trying to slip in truth wherever I can around Harbor. Uh, but again, Tebow, I could have gotten another clip from Tebow where he might have said this. Guys, we're the Florida Gators. Go out and live, go out and play like a gator. This is who we are and go out and live this way. Now, I don't think this is going to catch on and I'm not a great graphic designer, but here's my next slide there. Oh, there we go. The elect exiles, right? If you want to know what team you are on, this is what Peter's saying. This is your team. You know, and again, we don't have to worry about branding it. No one's going to put it on a jersey, but he's saying go out there and live like this. Go out there and remember this identity. I'm elect that God has worked in the past for my good, and he will work in the future, and so I can rest in his confidence in this moment. Peter designs this. And you'll see this throw throughout the whole book to be so hope-giving for us, to give us such great hope. So that's, it's designed to be spoken personally. Let me just broaden it a little bit. We have an election tomorrow. We're in the midst of COVID. And here's what we can know if we are in Christ. God is sovereign over all those things. 
He has allowed what he has allowed, but he governs it all for his purposes. It's this doctrine that sustains us in whatever is happening. Tuesday morning when we wake up and whoever is the prime minister, God will be sovereign and he will govern over that, just like we prayed earlier. And as we go through COVID, for some it is very bitter, but God is still sovereign and governing and allowing, and his purposes are prevailing through COVID. I read a title of an article. The article was really good, but I really liked the title. Here was the title. Will, God's, will, will the sovereignty of God survive COVID? Will the sovereignty of God survive COVID? And that's my reminder today that God in all things is sovereign in the sweet, but also in the bitter. Yes, it means we should be rightly concerned about things that are happening in our world and biblically concerned, but we should never be worried. It's this truth that sustains us. So that's the first thing Peter wants to say. You're on the elect exiles, and that means the, the God has eternally loved you. Look down to the next one here. He says this. What happens? How does this become a reality? Through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And so now we have the Spirit, and Peter's giving a wonderful trinity here. We've got God the Father, God the Spirit, and now next we'll go to God the Son. But it is the Spirit who sanctifies us, who sets us apart. It'd be like, uh, think of one of these chairs here. If I was to take this chair and say, I'm going to sanctify this chair, you'd say, well, Jeff, what do you mean you're sanctifying the chair? I'd say, well, I'm going to declare it holy. And what that would mean would be I would be setting it apart. So maybe I'd move the chair and place it over here, and I'd say, I have now sanctified. I've set this chair apart for special use. And you'd say, well, why that chair and why not another chair? Why is that one holy and not the other ones? And I'd say, well, because I chose it, because I moved it here, and I've set it apart for a specific use. And this is what Peter says, how, how this comes to, how we come to be elect. The Spirit sets us apart, begins to work in our lives. Some of you, you know this. Some of you think back to a moment where you were maybe five years old, maybe 10 years old, and you have a moment in your life where you just know that God was drawing you. God was speaking to you. You knew he was real, and you didn't understand it back then, but you knew. Now you could say this is the Spirit sanctifying you, setting you apart. There's other moments, and some of you may be here this morning or watching online because God is drawing you. He's reaching out to you, and the Spirit is setting you apart. Some of you know the moment deeply where God, through his Spirit, convicted you of your sin where you realized how great your sin was. And we sort of go through life thinking our sin is, is not that bad. But then in one moment, we realize the depth of it. And you think of you're visiting a friend's house and they've got a little statue on a, on a table and you knock it over and it falls and it shatters. And you're like, oh, no big deal. I'll just go to the dollar store and buy them another, you know, cheap little statue. And then your friend says, well, actually that statue's worth $100,000. And you're like, well, you shouldn't have it out on the coffee table there if it's worth that much. But suddenly... Suddenly, you're like, now I'm in trouble. I thought that was a cheap little statue, but now it's worth $100,000. And you feel the weight and the pressure of what you've done. That's what the Spirit does with our sin. We just don't think of it as a little thing. Suddenly, we realize the depth and the breadth of it. And then he begins to move us towards Christ. And we see what he did on the cross for us. And then the Spirit says, your sins are forgiven. You're adopted into the family of God. 
And then for many of us, after we've come on that journey, he begins to set us apart, sanctify us, continue to make us holy. About nine months ago, uh, a friend of mine, we were getting together, and he said, Jeff, I'm going to bring another friend, and uh, we're going to tell him about Jesus, and I'll do some of the work, but Jeff, I'm bringing him, so you, do, you, you carry some of the heavy lifting. I was like, that's a good deal. You're taking all the risk, and all. I can do the sharing part of that. So he brought his friend. My friend was wonderful in how he set that all up, and he sort of gave me you know, the moment. Here you go, Jeff, and we had done a little Bible story, and then I shared the gospel with him, and this friend, who I'd only, I, first time I'd ever met him, uh, shared the gospel with him, came to the point, you know, where would you trust in Christ? And he was able to talk about how the Spirit had been working his life, even the week before, and how that meeting and the invitation was so timely from his friend. And I said, you want to trust in Christ? He was like, no, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready. And so I didn't put any pressure on him. Um, and then we talked about other spiritual things for about another 15 or 20 minutes. And then he came back after that, and he said, okay, I'm ready now. I want to make the decision. I was like, okay, that was really quick, but that's good. That's good. And so he said a wonderful prayer. Wonderful prayer on his own just to sort of, you know, uh, to solidify that commitment. I think I saw him one time after that. And then for about three months, two, three months, I never saw him. And then he called me one day on the phone. Again, I've only met this guy once, maybe twice. He calls me on the phone and he says, Jeff, what have you done to me? And I'm like, okay, I'm, again, I was sort of thinking, I don't, I can't, I, I've only met you twice. That was two months ago. And I'm sort of thinking, did I say something that got back to him that offended him? You know, what have I done? And I'm trying to process that through. And he said it again, Jeff, what have you done to me? And I was just like, I have no idea. I said, just tell me what you mean. And he said, well, Jeff, I'm different. Something is changing inside of me. What have you done to me? And I was like, oh, that wasn't me. That was the Holy Spirit. And he was like, you think so? I was like, yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. Again, I, here's what we know for sure. It's not me. It's not me. So it, we're going with the Holy Spirit. And I was just with him a little while ago, and he told that story of him calling me, trying to figure out what's going on in his life. But that's what the Spirit does. He sort of moves into our lives and begins to change us. And here's the good news. The Holy Spirit has been working in your life from day one. He's been working in your life. He has been present all along the way, every moment, working out the plan of God in your life. And so whatever moment you come to now and you say, what's the Spirit doing? He's still working to set you apart, to sanctify, to make you holy. And you can just rest in that wonderful truth. There's such great comfort, such great encouragement in that. So I think you'll see on the side screens the second idea. The first is if you're an elect exile, you're eternally loved by God. And then the second part of it is, the second part is you are set apart by God's Spirit. But now we go to the Jesus. Now we're going through the Trinity. Father, Spirit, now we get to Jesus. Look what Peter says. The next line, why did God do this or what's he doing? To be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Why is the Spirit doing this? Why did God work in these ways? So that you would obey Jesus, right? See it right there, to be obedient to Jesus Christ. This is the heart of Christianity. To obey is better than sacrifice. You know, it's not just religious activity. For the sake of religious activity, it's actually obeying Jesus. You know, other places in the Bible we read that if we love God, we obey him. And so what Peter is looking at is he's saying, is if God has done this for a purpose so that you will live differently. 
every area of your life, you will seek to obey Christ and follow him and surrender control to him. And so here's the third idea. Elect exiles, who are we? We are obedient to Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, then what you're charged with is to be obedient to Jesus, to follow him, what he says we will do. And it's interesting how Peter puts these three together. The first two are very much on God's side of the equation. God's election, the Spirit's sanctifying. But now we get to this third one, and this is very much on our side, our obedience. We have something to do. And what can be misunderstood here is the idea that what we are talking about is not fatalism. Let me explain what I mean by that. Fatalism says that my destiny is determined no matter what I do. In spite of my behavior, there is a destiny for me. This is not what Peter is teaching when he says, obey Jesus. Election teaches us that our destiny is determined through our behavior, through our choices. We have real choices and they matter, not in spite of our behavior, but through our behavior. There's a classic illustration on this. I think I've shared it multiple times before, but I'll always share it here because when you read other people talk about this passage, it's the story everyone shares, so I feel like I'm in good company. It's a story of Charles Spurgeon, a Baptist minister from the UK, some many years ago, and he went to visit a sick elder or a man who was sick, and the doctor had prescribed some medicine, and the doctor said, your condition's quite curable, just take the medicine and all will be well. And the man was upset, and Charles Spurgeon asked him, he said, well, why are, why are you confused? Why are you upset? And he said, well, I don't know what to do. I, I don't know if I'm predestined to live or to die. The man said, it doesn't really matter what I do. I suppose if I'm predestined to live, it doesn't matter what I do. And if I'm predestined to die, it doesn't matter what I do. And Charles Spurgeon said, I can solve this problem for you. I can answer your confusion. Here's what he said. I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. If you take your medicine, you're predestined to live. And if you don't take your medicine, the doctor tells me you're predestined to die. And that's what Peter is saying here. We have real choices to make to obey Jesus. And that's where Peter comes in this third portion. You know, who are the elect exiles? We obey Jesus. So let me say this. Who are the elect? Who are they? We don't know. We have no idea. But here's the gospel message from Jesus himself. What Jesus says, he looks out on each person and he says, come to me. Come to me. Come and trust in me. What Jesus is saying, it's your responsibility to obey Jesus. And it starts with coming to him. And if you come to him, he works through that coming. So this morning, right now, if the Spirit is setting you apart, if He's making connections in your heart, if you're realizing the depth and the gravity of the sin and your Spirit is setting you apart, then here's what you do is obey Jesus and come to Him. Come now. Come trust in Him. Turn from your sin and throw down your life before Christ and say, I make you my King. I'm responding to what the Spirit is doing in my life. Now, you may say, well, I don't understand all this. This is confusing. I don't know if I get it all. I was thinking if I was to go back in time a thousand years, so that would be the year 1021. I 
Don't even know what would be going on in the world in that time frame. But I would just go back and make some friends and learn the language. I think one thing I would report of back a thousand years ago is I'd say, hey guys, in the future, we have these things called aeroplanes. They'd be like, wow, what are airplanes? I'd be like, well, they're like birds, you know, and they go in the sky, and you can ride on one. They're like, wow, you can get one person on a, on a plane? I'd be like, no, no, you can get hundreds of people. There's all sorts of these things. They fly in the air. You know, you can go all the way around the world. It's round, by the way, not flat. And, and you know, we'd have a great discussion. And then here's what they would say after I explained all that. They'd say, well, let's build one of those. How do we build one? And here's what I'd say. I have no idea how we build one of those. Maybe get some boards, and I don't know. They'll, you know, they say, but no, no, you're telling me you got on one of these things called a plane and went up above the clouds and went a long distance. Yes, yeah, that's true. And you have no idea how it's made. Yes, exactly. I have no idea. And if you guys build one, I'm not going to be the first one to try it out. Right? And they'd say, how could this be? How could you get up there and not understand it? And I would say this, I just trusted it. Just trusted it. That's what we do. We just got in them when we went. We didn't think about the law of aerodynamics, whatever that is. And in many ways, this is what Peter would say here. Come to Jesus. Trust in him. We don't understand how God's sovereignty all the time and our behavior work together, but we don't need to. We don't need to understand everything to know that we are responsible for our decisions and that God works through our choice. So again, come to Jesus and trust in him. Let me just say one other thing. If we go back to the verse, if we could find it there, there's one other thing. Two other applications here. One is there's a call to be obedient to Jesus. But the second reminder you see there is it says we were sprinkled with his blood. And as you think and I think about obeying Jesus, we all know that we fall short. We don't fully obey him. And this is what's so good. What does Jesus do for us? He sprinkles with, with his blood. It's a picture of the Old Testament where the priest would sprinkle the blood of the lamb both on the altar and over the people. And it would be a picture that God is faithful to them even when the people are not faithful. And this is such a wonderful picture for us to end with. Yes, we end with the challenge of obeying Christ, but we also end with this wonderful picture that if we are in Christ, we are all sprinkled by the blood of Jesus, forgiven by him. Well, we started with Tim Tebow at halftime, saying 30 minutes for the rest of your lives. Peter says, you're the elect exiles. Look all the way back to eternity past. Look back to the cross of Christ. In the future weeks, you'll say, look forward. See how I've loved you. See how you are. And just live who you are. Live out that reality. That's what sustains us and grounds us. Let me pray this morning. God, we're amazed by your grace. God, you see how we want to elevate ourselves and find something good in ourselves. But God, as we learn these things, we are just so humbled by your amazing grace in our lives. Oh God, we're so deeply humbled by that. And oh God, as we think about your love and your care, your concern, all you did on the cross for us, oh God, we rejoice. And God, for those that especially need that today, oh God, may it ground them today. May it ground them this week. And God, as we live the week before us, God, may these ideas, God, may you help us live as the elect exiles. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen and amen.
Well, we end each service with four words. They're a reminder of what we have learned. It's not the end, but we are on a mission. And so let me dismiss you with these four words. Harbor, we are sent.